0: Gen C is the generation of the new internet. In Gen C, the C stands for crypto, but it also stands for creators, the connected consumer and collectibles, both digital and physical with on-chain provenance. It stands for culture and characters, the ones we play in games and the companion ones that AI is building alongside us. It stands for community and digital citizenship and the new set of transparent and trustless tools being built to govern them. These are the people who were raised on a different philosophy on how they look at money, how they look at identity, how they look at privacy, and how they look at the hybrid, digital, and physical spaces being built all around us. And finally, how they reimagine their relationships with the communities and companies they interact with. We focus on how brands, large and small, are building for these audiences. Welcome to Gen C. Avery, we are back. Last week we took off because of fashion week and just scheduling. So happy to see you. I never like a week where I don't get to see you. So, how are things?
1: Things are great. It is back to school season, full in the swing. Summer's over. Labor Day's happened. Everything's happening all at once, as it always does towards the end of the year. You know, it's like a sprint between now and the holidays. How about for you?
0: Yeah, you guys must be so busy, I'm sure. Uh, yeah, it's pretty crazy. Got some travel coming up. As we all know, there's way too many conferences in crypto, and we seem to get involved in a lot of them, and some of them are amazing and great partners. But like, they're all over the world. Concord doesn't exist anymore. We got to find ways to travel faster. My new thing is really wondering where the sub four hour flight anywhere in the world is.
1: Google Flights, man, can tell you anything. I love that. Um, But I agree. The next emerging technology we need is teleportation. That would be very beneficial.
0: we Will invest. So I know you were at the Roblox Developer Conference, was it, last week? RDC? Is that what it stands for, by the way?
1: It is. RDC, Roblox Developer Conference.
0: Okay, cool. So I know you were there last week, and I want to hear your thoughts on it. But I also want to hear your thoughts on a story that I was reading at the beginning of the week, which I think came out of RDC, which was that the Roblox CEO was predicting that people are going to meet and start dating all because of Roblox, in addition to many other trends. Did you see any of these developers dating at the conference?
1: I did. So this was my first RDC. And I went because I was interested to hear from the people who are really building and creating in the space. And as part of my job, I love to like sit down with the people who are actually making this stuff happen, hear their stories, hear how they got interested in this, how their businesses work. And that was my sole objective at RDC. It wasn't like I was speaking, I was really just there to listen and learn. And I met with maybe 25 different game developers, teams, creators, influencers in the space, and asked them like, what motivates them to build on Roblox, how their virtual economies work, how they build their following, how they engage their community. And I learned a bunch of things. A couple of things that really stood out to me though is Roblox has a thriving creator economy. A lot of the folks that I was meeting with are coming from all across the world and they're you know, building their business on creating with their communities, building whether it's a game or an experience. And there were a number of different sort of like Roblox creator economy initiatives that the team talked about rolling out between subscriptions and the expansion of their limited products and also expansion of their communications products which kind of ties into what you're talking about with dating. Big takeaway for me is also Roblox is looking to age up, both as younger sort of gamers get older and stay on the platform longer and attracting an older crowd. Little known fact that I think nearly 40% of Roblox users are 17 plus and Roblox will soon be rolling out features that verify your age and then enable things like dating experiences. So expect the We Met on Roblox coming up. And that's not too surprising. I did meet one couple who had met on Roblox there. But I've also met people, you know, who met on vFriends Discord. And actually, fun fact, had the first ever known vFriends baby, this couple who met through vFriends and actually got married and had a baby, which is so nice. So people meet in these virtual online spaces, like more and more. And Roblox is leaning into that and leaning into enabling that level of communication. So. It might be surprising to some who think Roblox is just for kids and for this younger gen alpha audience. But the reality is 17 plus folks are on Roblox. They're spending two hours a day. And of course, they end up meeting people and falling in love as people do. So I, you know, had a ton of key takeaways, but those were two that really stood out to me. Creator economy is super real on Roblox. And it's not just for kids.
0: And... Correct me if I'm wrong. They look at the creator economy, not just being designers, but it's also game developers. It's people who are designing digital assets, both physical and virtual. I thought that was really interesting that uh, one of the predictions was that there are going to be creators who actually sell more physical objects on Roblox, in essence, like a Spotify that you still will get a shipped to your house. It's bigger than I think we think for those of us who are not on day in, day out. I also sort of look at it a little bit. And again, correct me if this analogy is wrong, but like I think about all the businesses that were built on top of Salesforce. that Salesforce took away a lot of things that people were having barriers with in connecting with their customers. And Roblox, in essence, are building a tool set to connect with customers that are just connecting with them virtually. But that doesn't mean you can't have a real relationship with them.
1: I think that's exactly right. And I think that we're also going to see... A- increasing number of brands and creators developing these like digital first products and experiences that might not need to have a physical twin. Right now, I still think we're in this place because like our mindset is like, oh, there has to be a physical link. But does there have to be a physical link? I think that's something that we'll increasingly see sort of dividing.
0: The thing that I still keep thinking about, which I don't think there's an answer, and there may not ever be an answer, but real life is still where we exist every day, right? Right. And I know that was a very deep, profound statement I just said.
1: Really insightful.
0: <laughs> the idea that, you know, that there are people who are playing in Roblox and maybe spending a couple of hours, but a lot of those same people are also going on TikTok for a while. And a lot of those same people are also playing games through the Apple Store or the Android Store. And so it's not like there's one land to rule them all when it comes to your virtual spaces. You know, Apple's coming out with theirs in a couple of months. So I keep wondering about the fact that people will continually hop from place to place which in some respects is an argument for tokenization and having your character that will port with you. But right now, a lot of those folks don't, aren't supporting it. But one of the things we've seen in video games is like, you know, there are people who've been playing Fortnite for two years straight. And then there are people who played Fortnite for three months religiously and never went back. And so, you know, how much churn is it within those communities? is just one thing I'm just interested in thinking about.
1: Another thing that I heard in in speaking with a lot of these developers, I was surprised because they're not as technical as some other developer conferences that I've been to. Because the language that Roblox uses for coding is way more user-friendly and it's way more anyone can build in that spirit of, you know, this is a place where anyone can create. If you can dream it, you can create it vibe on Roblox versus something like a AAA game where developers have a whole different sort of protocol and process for getting things into market. It's very, very different. And a lot of the creators of Roblox really don't see themselves in the same way that like professional game developers do. So it's a big separation there. It is not the same level of sort of technical knowledge and depth that you might see at some other conferences. It's way more about anyone can build, democratizing that content. And especially with what they're launching from an AI perspective, really enabling more of like a lay person to be able to build in Roblox is certainly the direction that I was picking up on.
0: Right, not a lot of C++ sessions at this one.
1: No, no. And a lot of the developers are also quite young. Like we're talking, these kids are 17, 18, 22. There were some gray hairs around there, but overall the crowd was much younger than you might see at other sort of game developer conferences.
0: And this is also, I think, a really easy lane for AI to come in, because the more that you can sort of describe it and it can write the underlying code to do the thing, the more we're going to get to a place where it's really about who has the best ideas versus who's the best coder.
1: That's exactly right. So I was very impressed with RDC. Unfortunately, the Innovation Awards had to be canceled, which was a bummer. But I really enjoyed meeting different creators in the space, different builders in the space, different brands in the space who were attending and chatting about all the awesome things that Roblox is doing. They did an incredible job with putting on the conference. It was, I'm going to say, one of my like, top conferences that I've been to in the past year because I just learned so much.
0: So vFriends, Consensus, RDC. Is that correct? Exactly. <laughs> um, speaking of AI, you put out a tweet, I think it was a couple of weeks ago or was on LinkedIn, about that we've seen a decline to some degree in open AI, GPT queries or accounts. This seems to be matching a trend in general that people, as they are using it, you know, they now have had their experience and some are like, all right, it's not necessarily for me. There was some data that Salesforce put out that I thought was just interesting for us to think about. So it is saying that kind of within Gen Z, still it's about 70% are using the technology. But once you go above that, to like the Gen Xs of the world and like upper millennials, it's only 52%. There's also something I thought was really interesting is that a lot of them are sort of unclear. It says 88% are unclear about how generative AI will impact their life. So even though they're having fun or using it for work productivity or just like generating images on mid-journey, you know, the long-term, how is this going to help me seems to be still a little bit out there, which I thought was really interesting. And then I think one of the things that was also, I think just for me, a standout fact in the report, we'll link to it in the show notes, is that many workers don't yet know how to use generative AI responsibly. Half of them, 54%, Said that they worry that Gen AI outputs are inaccurate and 59% think that the outputs are biased. We've talked about this before, but I do think it is, you know, the thing that's sort of starting to form for me is when AI first started like catching heat last year, a lot of people were sort of comparing it to the new internet or as revolutionary as the internet was, as opposed to this is actually just a really like interesting, productive app that we are going to use on the internet, right, to do our jobs better. And I guess, you know, are you seeing from at least the brands that you're talking with and even maybe internally and how you're running your teams where you are seeing the openings of daylight for AI, but also where it's like, maybe like, all right, we tried and maybe we're good actually in the old ways we did things.
1: Yeah, I honestly think that the novelty of AI is wearing off, but the utility, we're just starting to scratch the surface of how generative AI is really gonna improve efficiency and effectiveness within the marketing function. I think generative AI is big business, especially for marketers right now. And I did post, that it's actually just experience, it's third consecutive month of user decline per similar web. And I think this is due to two main reasons. One, this is being integrated in core apps. Like for example, this is already integrated now into Bing, a similar thing into Google, into Salesforce, into Microsoft's suite of services. So it's becoming integrated into like, you know, your kind of core digital experiences. And secondarily, I think that we are seeing a little bit of that, like novelty of like, Oh, wow, AI did this wear off consumers are kind of like, okay, if you look at actually Google trends, for searches of AI, like it sort of peaked a couple of months ago, and it has dropped off a little bit, because now it's just like, okay, I know that this exists. Now it's shifting into like, how can this make me more productive on a daily basis and enterprises are like building strategies and integrating generative AI into this sort of core things that we're doing. Actually, just before this was at a meeting with one of our clients and their entire, you know, executive team, thinking through how this can actually help us scale things like content production and improve trend spotting and these like, you know, use cases that are not necessarily consumer facing that they're generated using AI, but like save real money and enable like real speed to market. So I think we're just scratching the surface on that, even though the like hype train might be cooling off a bit.
0: All right, well, the AI thing is something we'll keep talking about, keep looking into. The final question I want to ask you about is the SEC came out with a ruling today on Stoner Cats. Don't know if you remember Stoner Cats, an NFT collection that was used to fund a cartoon series. It was from Ashton Kutcher and Mila Kunis, amongst many other people. They raised $8 million and... The SEC has come out and said, oh, this should have been registered as a security. Why? Because they were encouraging people to trade on secondary markets, amongst some other marketing language. I read this and I started to be like, okay, so 99% of every NFT project out there is now a security by definition. And there was some interesting dissenting opinions that also came out from like Hester Pierce from the SEC. But I wanted to get your thoughts of when like reading this, does it start striking a little bit of fear in your heart for anyone who's touched NFTs and especially the NFT creators?
1: It is a hot topic, and Sam, I think you called it out exactly right, where there are dissenting opinions even within the SEC. I don't think we have 100% clarity. So you're right. There was a settlement that was announced today. There was a settlement a few weeks ago for sort of known creators who were popular before the NFT boom. It's something that we're paying a lot of attention to. And I think certainly future forward, like we'll see probably different behaviors than what we'd saw, you know, two and a half, three years ago when stoner cats popped off and when a bunch of these projects kind of launched. I also think that some of these more famous people have like a little bit more of a target on their back than probably your average NFT creator. So probably depends a bit on who you are.
0: Yeah, that's true. I'm worried that it's such a broad brush that the SEC is working on right now that it creates a challenge for almost everyone to even try the innovation. And I think that's something that we all know we don't want. All right, Avery, we're going to take a break. When we get back, Lori Keith, Vice President of the Ad Council. Ad Council does a lot of important work. Lori leads up emerging media and technology for Ad Council. When we get back, we'll hear from her.
1: Lori Keith, I am so excited to welcome you to today's Gen Z show. Thank you for taking the time to be with us. I am so honored to be here.
2: Thank you so much for having me.
1: Of course, you are a person who so many of our guests have recommended. So when we had the chance to connect and we've worked on some fun stuff, I was like, we must have you on the show. So Lori, can you start off by telling Gen C a little bit about you and a little bit about how you got into your current role, what you do? Just give us a little peek into Lori's life. Awesome.
2: Well, let's see. I am a small-town girl from Michigan, and I went to Michigan State University that had an advertising program, which was really exciting for me. I didn't know right away I wanted to go into advertising, but soon after joining the MSU Ad Association and meeting a lot of executives in the space, I realized that's the career I wanted to pursue. I thought I would always go into advertising sales, so I started my career at big media agencies, working at Starcon MediaVest Group. In Chicago, I worked on uh, local strategy for Allstate Insurance. And then I moved over to a buying desk, buying media for Applebee's, reading a lot of Friday Night Lights scripts, which was really fun. And then I moved to Los Angeles, where I joined Mindshare, working on Ford Automotive, doing a lot of local marketing campaigns across their Western region, including Hawaii. Then I moved over to Initiative Media, where I was working on the Carl's Jr. Hardee's account. It was during the Paris Hilton on a pickup eating portobello mushroom burger era. And I really loved the job. And I think all my jobs at media agencies, I was working on really innovative projects, kind of first to market, like Hardee's and Carl's Jr.'s first text messaging campaign. I'm really dating myself. But I was really kind of at a moment at that time, really kind of looking at my career and saying, like, do I want to use this skill set and my experience to get men 18 to 49 to eat fast food hamburgers? And that's where I had a pivot. And I said, I want to figure out a way that I can work in social good. It was really a passion of mine at the time. I was doing a lot of volunteering in LA and it was a very serendipitous, I, I tell everyone this story. I was called to jury duty. I was jury number nine on this criminal trial in downtown LA. And because I was on that trial, I had a lot of time. I was going down different roads and I passed a billboard. It was right after the Haiti earthquake. It was you know an ad council billboard asking people to donate and a light bulb went off let's check out that company. They just so happened to be revamping their media team. They were looking for someone with both national and local strategy experience, which is what I had. And kind of the rest was history. I met with them. I met with a lot of people and I joined in 2010. I've had a long storied career at the Ad Council, 13 years to really help them think through media strategy, media partnerships, you know, we work off of a donated media model. So like, how do we kind of go beyond just securing donated media and really start to build custom unique partnerships across all of our media partners. And in 2013 was when I raised my hand to really start to focus on social media, I saw that it was going to be the future of targeted media. And we were doing a little bit with Facebook at the time, I think, you know, spreading the little support that they gave us across all campaigns, which of course, was not the most strategic. And that was, you know, when I started kind of overseeing social and emerging media, I moved to San Francisco in 2015 to really have a footprint in Silicon Valley. And I built and scaled our partnerships with all the social platforms. So establishing relationships with Meta, which obviously is Instagram and Facebook, TikTok, Snap, Pinterest, Reddit, Twitch, Apple, Amazon, to really build out what does the unique custom partnership model look like with these companies? A lot of my role involved with helping them bring products to market. You know, as we know, all of these companies are constantly innovating. For example, we were the first nonprofit to build an Amazon Alexa skill for our food waste campaign. We were the first nonprofit to build a messenger bot back in 2016 for our GoVote campaign on Facebook. We worked with Apple to secure, I think it's the only time it's ever been done, um, a custom emoji in the keyboard to help with people that were experiencing bullying online. You know, first Oculus partnered with Oculus, did our first VR film premiered at Sundance. And so that really, I think, brought me to where I am today. All of those partners are still existing partners. They are part of our marketing plans. They still drive impact for all of our campaigns. But we needed someone to really think about the new frontier and have someone with my experience, you know, that tackled social to figure out what is the value proposition for the ad council in these new emerging media and technology spaces. So. My charter is everything from Web3 blockchain, which I know we're going to talk about a lot today, to immersive 3D experiences, augmented reality, virtual reality, extended reality, everything that's happening in gaming, generative AI, and how we're going to tackle this as a way to drive efficiencies across not only creative, but also media and new media. Like we just put Smokey Bear on an autonomous delivery robot down in Los Angeles. Um, so. It's been a lot of fun. And, you know, I guess I'll also mention that I'm leading our internal organizational AI task force as well with our legal team to figure out how to tackle that. So there's a lot going on. It's a lot of fun. And I think I've been with the company so long because it's continuously evolved and I get to tackle the most critical issues in America.
1: Wow. Well, holy smokes, (laughs) that is a lot. Um, Just to sort of like peel it back a tiny bit, can you help give our audience a little bit of context into like? What is the Ad Council and what is your mission? Absolutely.
2: So we are a national, nonpartisan, nonprofit that brings together the best storytellers to develop large-scale social impact campaigns that educate, unite, uplift. And when I say storytellers, I'm talking about the leading creative agencies in America, the you know, talent and influencers that have audiences that are impacted by our issues, media companies that have internal creative studios. I mentioned, you know, Facebook being a partner, Facebook creative shop, shops like that, real people that have real stories like veterans that can really impact our audiences by telling their real stories. And so that is how we are able to kind of convene this powerful group of partners to have exponential impact. We were founded in 1942, so we've been around a long time. We were created during World War II to help with the World War II efforts. Smokey Bear is our longest standing, I think the longest standing PSA campaign is still a shout
0: out Smokey Bear,
2: <laughs> very enduring icon to our most recent iconic campaign, which is Love Has No Labels that really celebrates diversity and inclusion in all forms. And our model is very unique. We work with the leading issue experts, which are nonprofits, government agencies, grassroots organizations that are really steeped in the issue and can help bring the insights that we need to build that creative brief that's going to drive people to action. Then we secure donated media across every media outlet. So anytime you see an ad, it was donated to us by that media partner. I think we're one of the top 25 advertisers in the country if you just look at sheer volume. We then work with all of these partners to secure pro bono resources and time to really amplify the collective reach that we can make together. And I should also mention that we do hyper-local partnerships at the community level, which we call our ground game, in addition to these kind of big national partnerships. So in other words, we're doing kind of like a big, broad air game and then a deep, rich ground game to allow us to really drive impact exponentially.
0: Laurie, thank you for letting people know that. I think that most people don't recognize the fact that Like a Smokey Bear really came out of the ad industry. One of my personal favorite ads just generally of all time was the, I think it was like 2015, the Love Has No Labels like experience around the digital screens with the skeletons. Go check it out on YouTube. It's got millions of views.
2: It was top 10 YouTube video that year.
0: Yeah. So it was like, it was an amazing campaign and whoever created it, shout out to them.
2: RGA. RGA, there you <laughs> go.
0: I guess before we get into your personal thoughts on like some of this emerging innovation, which I know is your lane, I do think, you know, We're here at Coindesk in the media business. We have a lot of friends who come out of media and advertising. Everyone seems a little bit depressed right now. Like, what's your take right now on the advertising industry? Because I do think that the mediums have changed. The connection channels have changed. Even the rise of the creator economy, while being a wonderful sort of like new layer for brands, like that art director, that creative director, that copywriter probably looks at that and gets a little angry. So... What's your sort of take on where we're at in the advertising ecosystem? I know it's never going away, but where are we? It's
2: constantly evolving. Well, that's a loaded question. Hopefully I can answer it. I think, you know, it goes without saying that AI and automation and everything that's happening in the generative AI ecosystem is changing our industry. You know, these AI tools are now part of the everyday marketing stack. And then at the same time, stakes are high across agencies. They're, you know, required to create dynamic innovative content you know in real time across many brands and resources are stretched so i think having a tool like generative ai is alleviating some of that pressure by text generation image generation you know video generation which i think we haven't seen kind of what that's going to turn into so i think that that is going to fundamentally already has fundamentally changed kind of marketing and advertising i will say There's a lot of concerns there, real concerns from making sure that you're checking AI output for bias and harmful content, copyright infringement, data and privacy concerns. These are all real concerns that I think, you know, everyone is tackling right now. And, you know, we'll see what the regulation looks like, pending regulation. So that, I think, is the story of the year. I think that when we look back at 2023, it's going to be AI. I'm personally, you know, under the AI umbrella, I love using machine learning to optimize and iterate creative in real time. We partner with companies like VidMob, where we look frame by frame in the creative across social platforms to really understand the nuances so that we can iterate in real time and then drive performance. Things like color of logo or ideal video length, or whether there's a person in the first five seconds or not. So not really changing the overall message of the campaign, just changing really small elements that we're able to understand via data science and machine learning. And then we see the performance. And I think we've seen through these case studies with partners like BidMob that you need bespoke creative across social platforms. What works on TikTok is not gonna work on Snap. And that is really something that came to light through these tools. I should mention, I did just join BidMob's board of directors. There's social impact arm, BidMob Gives. I'm very impressed. They've always had their 1% pledge. They give 1% of their revenue back to nonprofits and social cause campaigns. So that's a company that I really believe in.
0: This weekend, we had the US Open and so many people were like glued to watching Coco win her first championship, which was amazing. Like you can't watch that. And one, not just notice that there's a ton of advertising, which is great. It supports that we get it, even like the Coco Champion shirt from New Balance, I like noticed, I was like, let me go see if I can order this. So like, I'm someone who does believe that advertising works. And I am someone who also believes that like, not only do you get what you pay for, but a lot of people are opting in, for example, on Netflix and some of these other ones for ad supported because they want it to be cheaper to them at home. So I guess where I'm going is more like, and this is clearly loaded because we are also ad supported, but it doesn't feel like advertising is going anywhere are we going to see a fundamental shift, do you think, in advertising or it's no, like this is just part of how we get the media that we love?
2: I'm glad you brought that up because there is a rise in people opting in to see ads so that they get free service. That was like a big CES panel I listened to this year. And I think that really does underscore the, you know, not only the value of advertising, but the fact that people are willing to interact with it or watch it in order to get the content that they want. So I love that. The first thing that comes to mind is, We are going to see a shift because of people are concerned about their data privacy. We are working towards a future of potentially cookie depreciation. So I do think where we used to be able to use that data to do really personalized marketing, marketers are going to have to figure out how to continue to do that while also respecting people's privacy. And I do think that's where this long-term vision of Web3 is really interesting. Because if we reach mass adoption of everyone having a digital wallet and being able to opting in to share their data with a brand, that begins a whole new form of marketing where you have these kind of one-to-one personalized relationships between the consumer and the brand. I think that's going to fundamentally... like There's going to be some interesting changes in that space, given what's happening with the cookies. And immersive experience, I'm very pro- I think that that is what we've seen a lot of success in this space. I think it's something like 50% of consumers better remember brands that use immersive tech. And someone said the other day in a meeting, it's story living versus storytelling. And that really resonated with me because there is something about moving through a space, being part of the story versus watching content, you know, 2D linear on your phone or on a billboard or what have you. It's really that ability to be part of an experience, whether that You're watching it in VR, you're watching it on your mobile phone, you're using your keyboard and a mouse. It's really just moving through a space that I think that is going to be something that we see more of, whether it's crafting digital twins of our reality that you can now experience virtually, especially with, I think brands are going to start cutting budgets on physical events. So I'm interested to see what happens there. But we also have the ability now to create these entirely new experiences that transcend the limits of the physical world. So they can be fantastical and, you know, you can be flying. And I think to be able to bring your brand into that experience to allow really that memorable, impactful output, they're going to remember if they experience with your brand. I see you have Aloe on your hat. You know, they did the awesome meditation space in Roblox. People are going to remember the brand for providing those spaces in an immersive world. And we know that Roblox is, what, 66 million users, 2.3 hours average day. So, the facts and stats are there. And I think that's just going to be a place that we're going to continue to watch. I love that. Let's
1: definitely talk about Roblox. I know both of us went to RDC last week. But first, sort of like taking more of a macro view, Lori, both Sam and I take a pretty wide view of Web3 and how this is sort of the next era of the internet, being about the creator and owner economy, immersive experiences, tokenized community, and very importantly, self sovereign identity. How do you think? the brand and advertising community is looking at Web3. I'd love to hear your take.
2: Yeah, well, when I stepped into this role last June, the first thing that we tackled was to do an extensive what we call listen and learn tour with marketing execs across all of our partner agencies to really understand how are you leaning into this space? What are you learning? What are the challenges? Vayner3, you know, shout out to you all, uh, very big partners. We've been on the journey. You've been on the journey with us since the beginning to really understand how is the space being defined. And I think one of the things we learned is that it was being defined in a lot of different ways, or at least the definitions of how to approach the space and where they felt like Ad Council should lean in was varied across different marketing execs. So that was really interesting, you know, as we thought about how we were going to approach the space. It's, of course, very nascent. I think we're still in the very early stages of development. So we don't really know what tomorrow, you know, in the next six months going to look like. And I think that was a lot of what we learned is that you kind of have to enter with like an experimental mindset and you have to understand that you do have to evolve as you go because it's changing so quickly. And I think the people that are the Web3 advocates really respect brands that are doing that. So we knew we don't look like an average brand. We don't have physical products that can turn into digital products that are minted on the blockchain that we've seen Nike have a lot of success with. We also don't have databases of our customers that we can tap into to build kind of like Web3 loyalty programs. And that's where I think when we were on our listening tour, we were like learning like, okay, those are elements that make kind of Web3 really exciting. One of the case studies I learned about early on was Old Navy. I don't know if you remember their Magic Dog NFT drop last July. That was really fascinating to me and I think really kind of opened our eyes to what Web3 could be for a nonprofit. They were a brand that partnered with Boys and Girls Club of America to work with the teens of that organization to develop the unique content that would become the magic dog, you know, mascot NFTs. They also made it purchasable via credit card. So for people that didn't really know a lot about Web3, it provided this like frictionless way to enter. They sold it for 94 cents, so super affordable. I think that was always a question mark for us. Like, we want to make our campaigns accessible to everyone. So, what does the pricing of a collectible look like? And they also drove people to the physical store. So, once you were a token holder, you could then go into the physical store and get their iconic flag tee. So, that was for us a great example of how a brand partnered with a nonprofit and did it in a way that was frictionless and got people kind of involved in Web3 that maybe didn't know about it before. And I will say, My last point here is that brands that are figuring out how to do that, I think are seeing a lot of success. We have been looking a lot at like Reddit and their blockchain backed collectible avatars. They don't even use the word NFT. And I think I read an article yesterday that there's 18 million people hold these. They've grossed like 40 million in sales. And, you know, they're these limited edition Reddit avatars. They partner with independent artists and by owning one of these. I actually own one. It was the first NFT I, I ever bought. I have the rainbow foul slang. But you can mix and match it with other items on Reddit. You can make it your profile picture. But like Old Navy, they make it available via credit card. They don't even say the word NFT, but it is minted on the blockchain and is able to be sold in the secondary market. And so that's a really interesting for me. Like It's a Web2 company, existing, huge reach. They've seen a lot of success with it. They're also an existing partner of the ad councils, and I'm sure a lot of other brand partners. So, could that be you know, a low risk entry into Web3? So, yeah, it's very interesting.
0: Laurie, you mentioned, for example, Nike, you mentioned Reddit. There are a lot of folks who are doing these Web3 projects. And what it seems to me is it is about creating a deeper relationship with your customer base. We had Mark Mathieu from Salesforce on one of our first shows. And one of the things that he said always sticks with me, which is, that we should be utilizing these protocols to reward our best customers instead of being more extractive of our best customers. And so the idea of having a direct relationship, whether it's through like a Starbucks or Lufthansa, who are both working on loyalty, or it's the Nike one that you mentioned where it's like a $20 digital shoe, but it gets you a Fortnite experience and an EA sports experience coming and all this other stuff, which is really targeting the gamer community. In this future where cookies and other tracking devices aren't as relevant, It sounds like brands should be exploring this only through the lens of how do I get a direct relationship with my customers that isn't managed by Instagram. Yes. Is that kind of the way you see it?
2: I definitely think that the challenges right now of Web3, in my opinion, are that it's not frictionless. Even myself, when I created a digital wallet, I got signed up with Coinbase and I wanted to join Decentraland. There was just so many steps. And I know that there's a lot of really smart people working on that. So I think when those kinks get worked out, And it's just very easy, just as easy as starting an Instagram account to start a digital wallet and start minting assets on the blockchain, selling assets. Once that becomes just like such an easy process to do and it starts to get more adoption, then I think there's obviously very forward thinking brands that are already doing all of this. But I think we're going to start to see more brands, especially like nonprofits that I think are still very gingerly. I mean, ourselves included, we do the crawl walk around approach, and I'd say we're crawling in the crawl space. But I think we'll start to see more brands and nonprofits want to start to play when they start to see, okay, more and more people are opening digital wallets, more and more people are spending time on these decentralized platforms, we have the ability to tap into these digital wallets. And then by doing so, we understand so much more about this one individual person. And then we can give personalized whether it's like a really cool drop or it's messaging or it's an invite to an event or things like that that you're able to provide to that individual person based on what's in their wallet. That's really exciting. I think we're just not there yet because we haven't seen mass adoption and there's still a lot of friction in getting a digital wallet and starting the process of being in the web3 community.
1: I think that's a common thread that we've heard from a lot of partners is It's interesting, theoretically, but balancing sort of emerging tech with also existing consumer demands. And one thing I think that strikes that balance really well is immersive worlds and sort of fishing where the fish are. And we've seen a ton of brand experiences on Roblox, Minecraft, Fortnite, and so many other sort of immersive experience platforms. What are your thoughts on some of those immersive experiences? And are there any that you're really keen on that sort of hit that saturation point of, Consumers are there today and brands are building that space in a real way.
2: Yes. I think it was your deck, Avery, a couple of weeks ago during Vayner Summer School, you kind of put out some stats on Roblox or really just the consumer behavior in general. 40% of Gen Z and millennials are socializing virtually more than in real life. 73% say experience is an important factor in purchasing decisions. I think it was around 75% of 18 to 24-year-olds that are playing video games. And so these are very significant stats. And I think every brand should be paying attention, especially because Roblox is only continuing to grow and other platforms like Spatial. And we'll see what Meta comes out with in Horizon Worlds. And as that continues to grow, we started experimenting with virtual platforms back in 2020 when everyone was stuck inside. And you started to see all the artists and musicians figure out ways to put on these like virtual concerts. And so in June of 2020, at the height of the pandemic, we partnered with Wave XR and John Legend and his new album, Bigger Love. He performed virtually, we turned him into an avatar. And we sponsored it in partnership with Wave XR and Yamaha were also sponsors. And he sang his album. And then in between the songs, he would talk about the importance of diversity and inclusion and our Love Has No Labels campaign. And we had messaging throughout the experience. We took our Facebook media to drive people. I think we reached 1.3 million people on Facebook, which resulted in 33,000 clicks. And then we saw 30,000 people tune into this concert. So that was a big aha moment for us. We were like, okay, people have the ability to tune into these virtual experiences at great volumes. How else can we explore this area? Later that year, you know, our STEM campaign, we built two worlds in Minecraft. One was a challenge world where we encouraged girls 11 to 15 to explore how fun and experimental STEM can be by creating different kind of concert features that could be featured in our second world, which was this virtual concert with Ruth B. She did a 10 song concert within the world. And then we basically saw, I think it was like 27 days and 11 hours that girls spent building these creations in this world that eventually were featured as part of the concert. And that was also like, huge for us. We also went global with that campaign. I mean, US was leading, but I think 19 countries were involved. We're a national organization, but it's always nice to see when we can do things that reach a global scale. So that was also like, okay, this is, you know, places that we need to pay attention. Roblox, we just did a very, I would call crawl partnership with iHeart where, you know, iHeart's a big partner of ours. They have a world within Roblox called iHeartland. We featured our Love Has No Labels content on their stage during Pride and it reached 2 million people over like a three-week period. So we're going to start to see more and more of these type of experiences that it's like a seamless integration between brands integrating with the platform in a way that's not intrusive, but actually adds value to the experience, whether that's gamified elements, whether that's working with an artist. And yeah, we've also done things with Decentraland, I can speak to. That was kind of our first Web3 partnership. But this is a space that we're definitely paying attention to.
0: Yeah, it feels to me, and I mean, yes, I'm wearing my Ello hat. (laughs) And I was just talking to Angelique earlier today from Ello, who was involved with the Roblox installation. And we've just been talking around this idea that in the mid-2010s, experiential became really hot for brands because you could go from, okay, I have a 30 second in a commercial or 10 seconds on a highway on a billboard and suddenly I can have someone for two hours come to my event and what you can do to transform people that way. And immersive feels like the next logical place. I can build something, I can curate the experience, I can have John Legend perform, I can make it feel really aspirational and beautiful. And it does feel very magical in that way. And I guess I wanna go back to the core of what Ad Council does, right? You guys are addressing serious issues. It could be mental health. It could be diversity. It could be acceptance and love, as you talked about. And so as you are exploring these new technologies, I would love to know just, yeah, your thoughts of also, you know, talking to people about serious topics in game worlds, like how that works or through creators on places like TikTok and our Instagram, how are you utilizing these new tools, these new technologies, these new platforms to get more people frankly, to take action on something that you guys care about?
2: That's a really good question. I think first, it's identifying the best partners, right? So in the Decentraland partnership that I mentioned, that was kind of our first foray into Web3. We wanted to establish ourselves and our brand in a well-known, established Web3 platform, But we also needed to partner with a production partner that is very well-versed in building within Decentraland and really understands the levers to pull in order to drive people to action. And so we partnered with Polygonal Mind, which is a very prominent Decentraland developer. And in partnership with them, we really... The campaign that we chose also was Love Has No Labels, iconic campaign. And we also chose to do it in a key tentpole event for the campaign, which was Pride. And we had a lot of other things happening in the marketplace. And I also think Web3 should be part of the overall marketing campaign. It shouldn't be kind of live in silos. But we figured out, okay, what can we do in this first Web3 experience? What are the levers we can pull that will actually get people to learn what it is we want them to learn or take action? And the campaign was all about supporting the LGBTQIA plus community, engendering inclusivity, providing pride history. A lot of people don't understand like where pride came from. And so in order to do that, we first created an educational game that you experienced by interacting with an NPC, a non-playable character. It was a trivia game, and it was everything from Pride History to How to Be an Ally. We worked in partnership with GLAAD to produce this How to Be an Ally leaflet. There was like kind of a leave behind within the experience, which 63% of visitors viewed it. I think one thing we learned in this partnership is that while we didn't reach as many people as we could maybe on a Roblox. The people that we did reach were super engaged. Like 65% of all visitors of Metaverse Pride went to our booth. So that was great. We also did unique custom wearables, which is another Web3 mechanism. So we had a t-shirt, a bucket hat, and shorts. We wanted to make them free because we wanted to open up the accessibility. However, in order to get these items, you had to complete this quiz and take action within the experience. So kind of going back to your question is... We wanted people to learn about how they can support the LGBTQIA community. We also wanted to support people within that community. We also wanted people to learn more about pride and how to be an ally. And so, in order to get these wearables, which a thousand people minted them, which is again a really huge engagement, they had to complete these actions. And I think that was a really kind of cool element to that partnership. And then, in addition, we featured our PSA content and our GIF content in the experience itself. We allowed people to take photos that they could share on social, that also added engagement for the campaign. So I bring up this example because I think it is a great way of taking both an immersive platform plus a Web3 platform and really kind of pulling a lot of levers within that experience that ultimately drove people to action or got people to learn what we wanted them to learn about the campaign.
1: Wow, Lori, it seems like you've pioneered so many different things at the ad council. And I know I just learned a lot. Like there's so many dimensions that you're thinking about from the media placement to the emerging channel adoption to figuring out the right way to bring this to your consumers and also sort of plan for tomorrow in a way that most sort of consumer facing brands don't need to think about the like levels that ad council needs to. So it's been really inspiring to hear a little bit about how you guys are pioneering this space. I love hearing about the listening tour that you did, which I think is something that many brands are on that journey is listening, prioritizing, understanding where to lean in. And Ad Council, I think from your unique perspective, you all have been able to adopt things because of this pro bono, low bono type of uh, sort of role that you have and really paving the way for a lot of brand marketers and advertisers all across the world to understand what can be done. It's really amazing to hear that perspective.
2: It's really a testament to the industry. Like you said, I think we have partners across the entire marketing ecosystem, a lot of competitive companies that come together for social good and understand the power of our mission and the power of kind of a collective community. When we come together, we can drive massive impact at scale. So huge shout out to all of our partners, including you, Avery, for being on the journey with us. We love it. Well, I want to be respectful of time. And I know we've saved the best for last. while so I'll let Sam out of his sprinkles.
0: <laughs> yeah, no, I just, uh, Lori, I want to say thank you again for sharing your insights and your wisdom with us. We are big fans of what the Ad Council is doing. And I think a lot of people don't recognize the fact that the ad industry always comes together to help support different causes and causes that really matter to us collectively, which I think is also very noble. And shout out to Smokey the Bear. Can't <laughs> wait for his PFP collection to drop. It's going to be amazing. And um, yeah, we just love to keep track of what you're doing. And uh, thanks for coming on the show.
2: Amazing. Uh, Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. It was a pleasure talking to you both. Thank you, Lori. Mm.
1: Mm. Sam, I feel like I just learned that ad Council is behind Smoky the Bear. I feel like that's something I should know, given I just saw so many of their amazing outdoor placements all over the
2: Bay Area.
0: Avery, not only that, Crash Test Dummies, the McGruff the Crime Dog. I mean, they were behind a lot of the like classic, iconic advertisements. And my guess is if you're a copywriting and art director team at an agency, you'd love the idea of just making stuff for good, and not having to sell plastic or candy.
1: Absolutely. I think that's one of the reasons that they've been able to galvanize such an incredible roster of partners. Ad Council also has a really impressive board of directors. Some of the leading CMOs, leading industry folks across the media and advertising space. So they do a great job. We are very honored to partner with Ad Council as Vayner, both Vayner3 and VaynerX, and love working with their team. It was great to hear Lori's insights in her sort of unique role leading a lot of their emerging channel initiatives.
0: Yeah, I can't wait for the Ad Council campaign on protecting your security on your wallet not signing transactions that have people steal your NFTs. There's a lot of room to grow in the Ad Council Web3 world.
1: It's a lot of public service (laughs) announcements that might be needed.
0: (laughs) Public good. (laughs) I know, I think we can think of four or five of them. Also love that she gave such Vayner shout outs to your data and research team. You guys are always on top of all the trends. So love to hear that. I thought that was great. All right, well, Avery, so nice to see you. You're wearing a turtleneck, tells me that fall is coming. So I don't know how I feel about that, but.
1: Brown turtle next season. It's feeling like Allie McBeal all over again. The 90s are back. Not sure if you heard this or saw this at Fashion Week, but this is changing of the season, Sam. Always a pleasure to see you.
0: I will dress lightweight next time.
1: Yeah, you're wearing a Hawaiian shirt, so summer's (laughs) over. Um, Gen C community, thank you as always for taking the time out of your days to listen to us. We love hearing your perspectives. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And we will see you all next week.
0: See you soon.